Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, mask mandates are going away. But health officials fear it's also leading to a relaxed mindset about the virus. I'll be joined by Dr. Jane Morgan and Dr. Duvall Desai to get their insight. And it's another listener favorite from our Closer Look archives, veteran actress Pam Greer. And Foxy Brown is based on my aunt who wanted to get into architectural school and they wouldn't let her. Fascinating story. Stay tuned for that. All that's coming up. But this, Metro Atlanta continues to offer few affordable housing options for the area's lowest income residents. There's only one low-cost unit for every five families living below the poverty line. Stephanie Stokes has more from a new report. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition estimates Metro Atlanta is short 120,000 affordable homes. These are homes where the region's poorest residents wouldn't have to spend more than 30% of their income on rent. According to the housing advocacy group, the Atlanta area has more available for higher income groups. There's one home for every two families making 50% of the area median income, which for a three-person household is about $40,000 a year. The National Low Income Housing Coalition has released this report annually for more than five years. And Atlanta's affordable housing shortage has held steady. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. In other news, happy Earth Day. How are you celebrating? Atlanta's Center for Hard to Recycle Materials is celebrating Earth Day with the milestone milestone of having recycled one million pounds of items. The nonprofit deals with material like styrofoam, tires, and mattresses. Its facilities set the mile pound gold last year, actually. Executive Director Peggy Ratcliffe says the pandemic helped meet that challenge. So many people at home, all of those things cleaning out their closets and their garages, was it was in their face. So they had no choice but to do it. So it really increased the traffic as well as, the, you know, the, the knowledge that we existed. And the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials is a group dedicated to a health and sustainable environment. And it's news and information about not only just Earth Day, but anything. You heard the story about affordable housing. We've been covering this for so many years. Now here, not just here on WABE, but on Closer Look as well, important conversations that reflect your quality of life. That's what we do every day. And if you don't know, hey, I am Rose Scott. We'll get back to those important conversations in just a moment. But first this, it is Trees Atlanta Partnership Day here at WABE. It's the one day of the year where your donation plants a tree right here in the Atlanta area. And you can help grow our tree canopy with your donation in any amount right now at wabe.org slash donate. Join me now for the second time this week and to give more details, journalists in our own right, Gail O'Neill. Thank you, Gail. 
Oh, it's good to be back, Rose. Can you believe 10 years have passed since Trees Atlanta partnered with WABE for the pledge drive? It's outstanding. Let's keep it going. It feels like it was just a couple of years ago, but now listeners, you can give by calling 678-553-9090. This Earth Day partnership with Trees Atlanta means that for every gift we get today in any amount, one sapling will be planted along the John Lewis Freedom Parkway. That's a one-time donation, a new monthly gift, every additional gift counts. Please play a part right now at wabe.org slash donate. And remember the reasons you appreciate WABE so much. It's because we work every day, we meaning Rose, works every day (laughs) to give perspective, understanding, and to amplify voices of Atlanta. That's why your gift right now makes it all possible and you help plant a tree. Please take a moment to give at wabe.org slash donate and thank you. When I sit down for an interview, I'm thinking about you. I'm Mary Louise Kelly from NPR. Not every day, but on the best ones, journalists get to ask people in power questions and hold them to account. There is a reason that freedom of the press is enshrined in the Constitution. At home and abroad, leaders make choices that affect your life. Their impulses and decisions need to be examined in as thoughtful and rigorous an interview as possible. Now, journalists don't do this work to score political points. We do it in the service of asking tough questions on your behalf so you and the world can hear the answers, or lack thereof. That is both a privilege and a responsibility. When you donate to this NPR station, you support journalism that does not back down. Here is how to give and how to help public radio hold powerful people to account. Absolutely. You can help with your financial gift at wabe.org slash donate. And I really love the fact, Gail, that we have Mary Louise Kelly and that she and so many other WABE and NPR journalists ask tough questions and host. Every now and then I get a tough question in there, questions that matter. Look, we have this fundraiser like this, one, because it helps to pay for programs like Closer Look, like City Lights, the great programming that comes out out of our WABE newsroom. And because we also understand that you find value here. So please give, maybe for the very first time, that is cool too, but you'll be glad you did. And we'll be glad to welcome you as a supporter at wabe.org slash donate or online or by calling 678-553-9090. As always, we say thank you. When you give to WABE as a new sustainer at $10 a month, we'd like to thank you with our brand new Amplifying Atlanta mug. It features illustrations of some of Atlanta's most familiar and iconic landmarks, along with our beloved WABE Mm -hmm. hosts. And it was designed by Atlanta artist Fabian Williams. It's yours as a monthly donor at just $10 a month or with an annual gift of $120. You'll get the bonus gift, the PBS streaming channel Passport as well. So please give monthly. It only takes a moment at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And thank you. You know what, Gail, that mug is really, really cool. It really, really is. When when you give to WABE, we want to let you know that we do welcome one-time gifts too. That's, uh, hey, we take it all. While monthly donations allow WABE to plan more accurately for the future, you know what works best for you. As my father would say, do what works best for you. He really did say that. It's in the script, but that's what he said. So please make your first ever donation at wabe.org slash donate, or you can call 678-553-9090. And remember now, 
your donation, every one donation right now equals one tree for Atlanta to improve our very beautiful tree canopy. So do your part, do what you can, 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. And as always, we're appreciative and we say thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Seems like two years ago when all the back and forth about mask mandates began. Oh, wait, it was two years ago. Fast forward. Here we are now. TSA and several airlines and airports and other public transportation companies across the country. They will no longer enforce a COVID mask mandate. This, of course, includes Hartsville-Jackson and Martyr right here at home. And this all comes as a federal judge in Florida struck down the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's nationwide order that required people to wear masks on public transportation, calling the order, quote, unlawful. Now, in response, the CDC asked the Department of Justice to appeal the ruling, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But what does this do for folks' mindset about the virus? Or is it more relaxed? And we also asked you, we'll get to that in a moment, too. Joining me now to talk about all of this is Dr. Jane Morgan, a cardiologist and the clinical director for Piedmont Healthcare's COVID-19 Task Force. Been on this program since the beginning of all this. And also Dr. Deval Desai, an internal medicine pediatric specialist in inpatient medicine, said it three times, and the director of hospital medicine at Emory St. Joseph Hospitals, Dr. Morgan, Dr. Desai, welcome back to the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having Hi, me. Thanks for having us, Rose. Wow. Dr. Morgan, let me start with you. Your reaction to the court striking down that nationwide mandate, what'd you think? Well, it, it does appear that the Biden administration is going to take it seriously and, uh, p- and propose a challenge to it. And so I think, you know, one of the things we always have to follow is sound science. And is science really being followed as we look at these cases? And that's, you know, certainly not something for me to decide. The Biden administration will take a look at that and we'll see how those challenges come out. One of the things that we we certainly are aware is where we are in this pandemic at two years. Um, It appears that we do have some not only waning of the virus, but waning of immunity. So we've got these two um, um, uh, sort of opposing ideas that our immunity is waning, but the virus is waning. But we really need to understand, is the virus waning or is it taking on a new form? Are we hitting a reset button? We see some of these numbers starting to plateau, meaning they're leveling off. Mm -hmm. And when we see numbers plateauing, not returning to zero, generally that heralds the onset of another surge. So we want to always be cognizant and have our absolute best public health foot forward. 
Dr. Desai, your reaction when you saw that the court uh, was striking down that nationwide mandate? Yeah, I don't. I agree with Dr. Morgan. I personally and professionally don't think we're ready for that yet. I fully agree that cases, while they are significantly decreasing in Georgia, we are still plateauing. We still have new cases. And that may mean a new variant's on the way, immunities on the way. There's a lot are declining. There's a lot of variables mm-hmm. right now. And while we all want to return to pre-COVID life, we may not fully get there yet. We're not ready yet. Uh, and I think it was a little premature right now. Let me stay with you, Dr. Desai, because if the CDC is the nation's foremost public health agency, right? Right. And the world is still under a pandemic declaration, right? Right. Shouldn't that carry some weight in some legal weight, rather, in keeping this mass mandate in place? I certainly think so. I certainly think so. I've been one that I think the CDC has made every recommendation with the best intent since the beginning of the pandemic. Each and every surge has brought us different challenges. While we are out of a surge state, so to speak, right now, I still trust what the CDC is saying, and I think we should follow their guidance and leverage that. As a physician on the front line, Rose, I've been fortunate to be on your program and use this platform to Mm -hmm. talk about the state of healthcare work workers, what we've faced over the past two years. And we don't want to face another surge. The system really cannot handle it. There's going to be a lot of challenges, and the pandemic simply is not over yet. Dr. Morgan, what does it say then if the CDC, again, this is the nation's foremost public health agency in our country, if the court is saying what they want in this mass mandate is not, is unlawful through your lens? So I think the CDC has some culpability, you know, certainly when uh, they change the definition of, uh, of what we should uh, look at as far as uh, our concern for what the disease prevalence is going to be in, in your area and change those maps. And even though the disease prevalence was the same, we, cert- we suddenly saw the heat map uh, on the CDC website go from red and yellow to all green. And without any without any change of disease prevalence, just with the change of definition, they change the definition. In doing so, if you go onto the CDC website and you see that your area and indeed most of the United States is all in green, and we use just the basic green, yellow, red stop sign colors, which is what they're using, you feel a great degree of confidence and then you begin to question, why are you uh, wearing this mask? Mm-hmm. But we still see the other original map up, which continues to be yellow and red. When we look at disease prevalence, we look at the number of deaths that we are still experiencing each day and this, and this uh, term of hospital capacity being the tool being which, via which we are going to determine when we need to reinstate public health measures. And, you know, as I've said before, I think hospital capacity is a poor man's tool. It means that we're behind the eight ball. By the time people are being admitted to the hospital, it's too late. All physicians practice preventive care, and we need to see that consistency from our public health as well, practicing prevention and not reaction. Um, And so this new definition of hospital capacity, I do feel that the uh, I do think that the CDC has some culpability Mm -hmm. in the mixed messaging and people being uh, very anxious and comfortable to relieve themselves of masks and move on. When you look at the map, the map looks green. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't we? Dr. Desai, you you were shaking your head. I guess that's an agreement yeah, in terms you know, of the well, CDC has I, to own I, up to some of this. I think that I, th- I agree. You know, I don't know if I like the word culpability personally, but I do for 
professionally see Dr. Morgan's point. I think what it comes down to is there's opportunities for better messaging. You're right, the green, yellow, red messaging, the green implies that we're in a safe zone, but the pandemic simply still is not over. And I think we need a message, why are we in the green? We've been better with vaccinations. Now we're focusing on boosting. Now we focus still on masking in crowded indoor spaces. Um, so I think there's an opportunity in messaging, um, and that's the biggest opportunity we have right now. And from messaging to mindset, I want to play a couple of cuts. This is from CB, uh, PBS NewsHour. To me, it was worrisome because there's a constant surge. It has um, encouraged me to approach safety even more so since others aren't. As long as you cough in your arm and do, you know, wash your hands. So I don't, I don't really believe the mask mandate did any good. Two different variant viewpoints there. What do you make of that, Dr. Desai? Some say, look, I'm still going to mask. I'm not, you know, I'm not 100% clear about this. Another fellow says, you know what, I don't know if it worked to begin with. So it did work. Let's just fundamentally say masking did work. Um, and it still can work if done right. So I think masking is fundamental. When we started the first talking, it was wash your hands, watch your distance, wear a mask. That was our motto. Then we had the vaccine. Masking can still work. Look, we're not saying mask in your family gatherings that everybody's vaccinated and boosted or in these intimate settings. We're saying when you're in Hartsfield-Jackson, busiest airport, or I'm saying the world's busiest airport, yes, I think it's safe to still wear a mask. Rose, I have a two-year-old at home that can't get vaccinated yet. My six-year-old thankfully is. I want to travel this summer and get back to normal. I want to live normally with him. I would appreciate people masking around me to protect himself. So uh, masking does work in my opinion. Dr. Morgan, let me get your thoughts on that because now with these mask mandates going away, do you have a fear that so many in our society will become a little bit more relaxed about this virus because let's be clear the virus has not magically disappeared although that would be great but it ain't happening is dr morgan with us well we'll, we'll work on getting dr morgan but dr Desai, Rose, back. i think you oh. hit the nail right on the oh. head we have got to move away from um, magical thinking just because we wish it to be so then it is so this is science. This is not Disney. There is a place for us to make wishes and there is a place for us to follow sound science. And so when we're talking about the CDC, we're talking about science. We cannot uh, rely on magical thinking and wish it to be so. And one of the things we have two little pieces of data that I think are very compelling. One is that our um, prevalence and incidence of flu was dramatically reduced in 2020 and 2021, primarily because people were masking. That's not incidental. And we need to understand why we had such a, a, a mild flu season. Secondly, we have to begin to understand that long COVID is very mm -hmm. serious. We see it not only in, in adults, one in 10 children. We're beginning to understand that, that women that older people uh, and that people who have had more severe infections, meaning they've had at least five symptoms in their infections, in their infection period, are more likely to move on to long COVID, which can give you some long-term disability. The other thing we know about long COVID is that people who are unvaccinated versus vaccinated are twice as likely to move on to a long COVID state than those who were vaccinated. And finally, we have emerging data that seems to point towards 
the unvaccinated with long COVID, if they were to get vaccinated, there seems to be a lessening of their symptoms. So we've got a long way to go to understanding this virus, understanding public health measures. And certainly we have a lot of evidence that masks were very effective and they should continue to be in our armamentarium of tools. As you wrap up, Dr. Morgan, I'll start with you. We're entering the travel season, vacation, school's out, everybody's going to hit theme parks and what have you. If we get through this summer vacation, this heavy travel season, with a fairly small amount of percentage, whatever, of a spike, that's good news. You're more optimistic that we'll be out of this maybe this time next year totally, or if it's the other way, (laughs) then what are we looking at? So I think we are looking at the uh, inability to reach herd immunity. I think that cat um, is out of the bag, that that uh, that horse has left the barn. We had an opportunity early in the pandemic, but now that we've had so many mutations and so many variants, and we see these uh, more recent variants have the ability to reinfect people who've previously been infected, then I think herd immunity becomes more elusive. Because of that, that makes it difficult to treat COVID the same as we would measles or mumps or any of these other types of viruses where we uh, receive vaccinations and it looks as if it may be something more like the flu where we may have to have updates of our vaccinations depending Mm -hmm. on what variants are circulating. And so as we move into this summer season, I think luckily people should stay outdoors, still heed caution, be be, um, wary, and also make certain you are up to date on your vaccinations, and that includes your COVID vaccination. And if you've received one, get the second one. If you've received two, get the third one. If you're eligible for the fourth one, meaning you're over 50 or you're immunocompromised, get that fourth vaccine if you're four months beyond the third one and continue to practice good, sound public health and protect yourself and your family. Dr. Desai, I'll give the last word. How important is this summer? I think the summer is important. I agree with Dr. Morgan. We need to focus on vaccinations and boosting. If we want to have an easier fall and winter, now is the time to prepare. I urge us all to try to live normally, but we also want to protect ourselves, protect each other. And I think everybody needs to make their own decision when traveling. I'm not saying don't travel, but let's be smart. Let's be safe about traveling, protect ourselves. We want everyone to be healthy. We want our healthcare system to remain sustainable. As Dr. Morgan said, hospital bed capacity capacity is not an indicator we are in a healthy state. There is so much more to healthcare and hospital systems. So we have a lot of power in the community and messaging, and I think we have a lot of opportunity to, to keep doing that proper public health messaging for the next few months. All right. We'll see if I have to bring y'all back here. And Dr. Duvall <laughs> decide. Dr. Jane Morgan, as always, you all have been with us since all this began. I really appreciate you coming on the show, giving information to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Rose. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rose. Bye. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Uh, maybe you're not certain what to do today because it's Earth Day. Well, here's a thought. <laughs> Make a gift to WABE because when you do, our friends over at Trees Atlanta will plant a tree on your behalf. One gift equals one tree. And it's real easy. Head to WABE.org donate. Joining me now with more information is Gail O'Neill. And I forgot to wish you a happy Earth Day. I'm sorry.
Happy Earth Day back at you, Rose. Listeners, you can get on this with a call to 678-553-9090. It's the one day of the year we do this, and I love that it's with Trees Atlanta's partnership. We're doing something good for the environment, and so can you when you give now. Please play a part, play a part at wabe.org slash donate. Your gift not only plants a tree, it helps us continue plant providing coverage to issues that matter. That's health, politics, education, and climate change. Your donation now ensures that WABE remains freely available to everyone in Metro Atlanta. And it only takes a couple of minutes at wabe.org slash donate. Thanks again so much. My name is Malka Shulman and I live in Sandy Springs, Georgia. I absolutely love Rose Scott and Closer Look because she asks such pointed questions. She brings topics to light that are happening in Atlanta that, you know, I think we all hear about, but we don't necessarily get to ask or get to know the, the nitty gritty of it. She's super talented. She's a joy to listen to. Thank you, Malcolm from Sandy Springs. I really appreciate it. WABE is here to shine a light on topics that may not be the most comfortable all the time as well, but are definitely the most important to our community and also to helping our community grow. And remember, your one donation right now equals one tree for Atlanta at wabe.org slash donate. And this is with thanks to you and, of course, our partners over at Trees Atlanta. You can also be a part of this by giving over the phone, 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. So please take a moment to give thanks now. And you know what, Gail, this month, and especially during our spring member drive, we've been opening up the archives vault. You know, these are conversations that you, the listener, have said, you know what, Rose, that's my favorite. Well, let me tell you something. In 2018, Pam Greer stopped by our studios and everybody lost their minds. I, on the other hand, remained very calm. When Pam Greer arrived in Hollywood, folks took notice. That's right. Starring in roles such as Coffee and Foxy Brown, they were really groundbreaking, and especially for a woman of color. Let's be really clear. If you want to start the list of female action heroes, you have to start with Pam Greer. 50-plus movies, 40 television series, and a best-selling memoir, Foxy, My Life in Three Acts. And now, with nearly five decades, Pam Greer is nowhere near slowing down. There are plans for a biopic about her life story. So what else there is to do but to talk to me about all of this? Pam Greer joins me in studio. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You just tired me out. Let me go take a nap <laughs> on this stuff that I'm doing. Y'all, this, you, but you, uh, you have been busy. I have been, but I've been given that. I think when I wake up breathing, I'm going to have a good day. Amen. And when I survived cancer, I was going to serve. And mm-hmm. as a little girl, when I was attacked at six years old, I realized that horses were very therapeutic and mm-hmm. helped me through a very traumatic time. So in my off time, I rescue horses mm-hmm. and uh, train them for a therapeutic riding program. I took my horses up to Canada and trained them while I was doing the L word. Um, I work with Subaru, my corporate sponsor for Pilots and Paws. We rescue 10,000 animals each year and fly them to forever homes Mm -hmm. and dining out for life. I am the spokesperson for them, for all the ASOs who support people living with AIDS, and uh, all the money goes to their local fundraisers, to their local area. And given all that, Miss Pam Greer... Oh, there's more. (laughs) There's so more. I often ask folks about their journey, and when you think back to 1970, when you got your Screen Actors Guild card. You were 21 years old. Mm, I still have it. You still have it. Mm -hmm. Could you even imagine 
all of this? No, I didn't plan on it. I didn't plan on your my future. I just knew that I needed the energy. You know, there's something I learned from the Talmud, and I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I've studied uh, for my doctorate various cultures and religion, Christianity. I was a met, baptized a Methodist, mm-hmm. listened to gospel music, Earth, Wind, and Fire part of my gospel group. I played organ for August Wilson uh, to do the <laughs> piano lesson. Um, I really felt that it was important that what I learned from my family from the, the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. and my grandfather was the first feminist who taught all the girls how to hunt, fish, and shoot in the family to be equal to the boys, do everything the boys did. Mm-hmm. And my great-great-grandmother had a sugar beet farm and a hotel for the blacks and Chinese that worked on a railroad, a la Blazing Saddles. So she taught my granddad and he taught us mm-hmm. to fill your life, then you're worth something. You can share, and people will be interested. So that's a part of my legacy and my narrative that got me jobs for tuition Mm -hmm. because I brought another skill to movies, Mm -hmm. which was I wasn't afraid of guns. I wasn't. I was a a gymnast. I skied. I did a lot of things. So if you didn't have the talents, you're not going to interest the director and the producer. So because a woman of color, they said you ski. Black yeah. people How ski. How Black folks skiing? What? I ski and snowboard with my nephews right now. <laughs> and But I also, you know, will get on, have the horses pull me on my skis in the winter. <laughs> I thought of, because I was given that element of freedom mm-hmm. from a family member who needed, who knew about the balance. Because Plato was a, 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 Greek, a Greek thinker and mm-hmm. said women should be leaders and can be. And that was the seed. The seed. The seed that said women can be leaders and do anything. So if you don't read and, and find those small steps to move forward, then you lose out. The le- big leaps, you miss out on education and on people giving you information on how to be confident. Do you think your parents, Gwendolyn and Clarence Greer, they could see that in you from when you were little? That's how they were brought up. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. And, and in the military, they ask you to play tennis, swim, to learn. It's a global today, mm-hmm. ethic, to do everything, be everything, explore. But they gave us that because anything to do, the, you know, I didn't want to do the dishes. So get outside. It, to keep from doing the dishes, I did a lot of stuff. However, just being outside of the house mm-hmm. and learning, that's what your parents, because they were marginalized growing up because of Jim Crow and certain mm-hmm. issues. My mom wanted to be a physician. And they, women weren't allowed to be physicians unless you get to Tuskegee or a black medical hospital somewhere in the country to become a doctor. I wanted to be a vet. I couldn't get into vet school. So I said, okay, I'll be a psychologist. And then my psychology professor at the University of, of uh, Metro State in Denver, it just started in 1967 when I graduated. I said, I, I, I really like film. Uh-huh. And he said, well, why don't you go to film school? We don't have any here. And he checked out. There was four film schools in the country at the time. That was UCLA, USC, Northwestern, and NYU. That was it. And I would have to leave Colorado, live in a garage, drive my family's Army Jeep with, with no floorboards, doors, or windows, it with a kidney belt, try to get to L.A. No power know, steering. No, no. That's <laughs> tr- <laughs> and get there, and if I could live there for two years, it'd be a film student. That's what I wanted to do. And because of that, I was hired mm-hmm. by Roger for tuition. I wasn't going to be an actor. I was just doing, going into film, doing films 
instead of because I couldn't get into film school yet because I didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. So I started doing films. And because of instead of working three jobs, I did one film and I made like four thousand dollars. But that was tuition for a year. And so that that was already you already had something planned for that. Well, I I didn't. I thought I was just you know he, I was so good because Roger Corman said I want I really want you to be because an actor because you're raw you're good you're you're something about it. I said I'm a student you know I still study you know everybody still study if you want to continue your journey so I said you can't fire me and you got to talk to my mama because I won't be going into college and if she say no she say no and what mama says go yeah absolutely she's coffee. The movie Coffee is based on her. I wanted to ask you about that because listening to you talk and everything that I've read, we know about perseverance and grit, and your characters, they personify that. They are. They're based on real characters. And Foxy Brown is based on my aunt who wanted to get into architectural school and they wouldn't let her. Did she and take she was some an honor student. No, she didn't, but she could. She she did on occasion flush somebody's head down the toilet when they made the wrong move. So I don't know. That's my Aunt Manon. But I learned I learned that. But she also learned what I learned from all of the movies that I did and that all of the movies that are on in, in the in the catalog of Brown Sugar. Mm-hmm. It not only does it inspire, but it, it, it really uh, kind of it, it documents our narratives, our history, our artistry, our politics, the gender issues. And what I brought was today there's so much of what I people do now is what we did then there's really no difference except for maybe I wore platform shoes and bell bottoms mm-hmm. and a bigger fro but what we did is we are trying to keep the brand recognition so there'll be another Black Panther so that because we support what we do in all the movies that I didn't see or my mom didn't see because she was you know, feeding children, she mm-hmm. can see now on brownsugar.com. But it is a true, it's our Wikipedia. Sure. It's our, our, our artist, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, encyclopedia. It's our history books on film. Does that term black exploitation? does that bother you at all when mm, people talk not, about it? Yeah. Not at all, because of who was exploited? Mm-hmm. We all got jobs and I signed as many people in the union as I could sign. And that was their legacy. Willie Burton won an Oscar for sound because he had worked on all my movies. He cut his teeth on my movies. But it didn't, you know, black exploitation was basically a conspiracy to keep our movies out of the theaters because we were staying too long. They only had one movie theater. But because of necessity, Genius was invented and they started making the multi theaters Mm -hmm. so they could have black films, Asian films, Jackie, you know, the Asian martial art films like Jackie Chan films. Mm -hmm. I used to see with Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah. see with all my friends you know martial arts the drunken master you know two one and two the bride with white hair and jim kelly and all the martial arts movie but that was what you're supposed to do so you can show all cultures on film so out of it out of being you know stuck in the movies my movies are playing because you at six years old snuck into the movie (laughs) you all y'all out there or underage and weren't supposed to see those movies don't tell you kept the movies in the theater more than one week but maybe three four five six weeks and it kept out other so when someone said well we want to put this this movie that's it's a white movie in the theater, I said, no, Pam Greer's still packing them in. You're going to have to wait. So they got mad. 
so that's why the multi theater was invented. Let's talk about you for a moment because no, I, yeah, come on now, let's let's focus on <laughs> your impact because Ms. I impacted everything. Yeah, you every, did because you know. here's the thing: 1975 cover of the New York Magazine, mm-hmm. and and we this is what it said. You know, look, sex goddess of the 70s, and also a new kind of Hollywood star. It was just another kind. It's okay. Well, I my films were five hundred thousand uh, for budget to make, but it 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 had an audience, a wide audience mm-hmm. of a lot of different cultures and ages, but they had never seen. You know, Diane Carroll to me was that sex guy, that beautiful woman, Ruby Dee, Lena Horne, mm-hmm. but they were marginalized. I had a little bit more freedom thanks to Gloria Steinem and the women's movement and Bella Abdul and Shirley Chisholm and Barbara Jordan. They owned their intelligence and their beauty and their skin coloring. Some were light, some were dark. We owned it. And when you own it and people say, yeah, she walk in in the right way, there's a confidence that people like to film. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's like that pride and that stri- you know straightening. People like to film that. They turn away from people who are hurt. They want to let them heal. There's not something that they want to see in victimization. So they want to see you have pride. Because I was I was attacked and raped at six. Yeah. Uh, and attacked and raped at 18, and I fought off the third one as I was trying to get a job in California. I fought off a 300-pound ex-football player mm-hmm. who could have hurt me because you, you strain against them and you could break your own neck and, you know, choke your own self. And I wasn't going to let it happen anymore. Mm-hmm. But because of martial arts and the confidence of me trying to put myself in school, the journey that I'd been from, he's not going to stop that. So, yeah, I used the table. I used some furniture to, to stand my ground. And I won. And I said, you know, Roger, get I'll take that job. And mm-hmm. I know I turned you down, but I need to take that job to go to the Philippines on the other side of the world and figure out who I am as a woman. What'd you learn? I learned that I can do a lot myself. And I walked away from death. And it didn't scar me. But I do know there's certain situations where I won't put myself in because I understand the behavior, human behavior, being a psychologist. And I, I do have a doctorate, doctorate in humanities mm-hmm. to understand religion, understand that we're moderate, fundamental, liberal, you know, conservative. There's things that you're not going to change about the man's world. I'm not walking into a man's den mm-hmm. and expect that I'll be respected. There's just I'm not going to even question that. I'm not going to deal with it. You know, I can't. Uh, there's like certain scenes where people say, well, you know, can you do a scene where you fight with the man? I said, no, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, not every actress can do certain scenes. And the actress who plays me in my biopic, yeah. I it won't be just any actress because some of them can't, because they've had those situations, mm-hmm. cannot attempt that situation again psychologically so we can't have a double to play a rape scene she has to be able to be confronted be pushed around make it look like a real attack and not not many actresses can repeat that let's talk about a battle that you you had and listen you've been working throughout every decade since the 70s you're diagnosed with stage four Cervical cancer, mm-hmm. Ms. Greer, mm-hmm. given 18 months to live. Yep. Yeah. How did you maneuver through all of that? Well, it, it hits you, and you, you go home, and I was just lying on my bed um, back in Colorado, looking at the cracks in the ceiling, saying, okay, who do I tell first? 
that I I have a fight, I have a journey, and I have to win. And I don't know if I'll go back to filmmaking. I don't know if I'll be able to remember lines. I don't know what I'm going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But I've got to try because I really feel that I need people to take care of. And I have that in my family. And I have family members and kids all around me that need, who look to me for education, who look mm -hmm. for me. When you go home, for example, when you get in higher education, often you go away from your family. And, mm -hmm. and I remember when I went home, I had vocabulary that they didn't understand, some of my peeps. Mm -hmm. And it hurt their feelings. They felt left out mm -hmm. because they didn't get the education. They didn't know what I was talking about. And they feel, you know, I don't understand what those words. And I feel, you know, I'm not smart. And so I realized the language of family. Yeah. Don't forget that. You go through life because some families will hold some kids back. If you think, oh, you think you uppity, oh, you mm -hmm. think you're going to go off. No, no, you just respect them and speak the language of family. Then you speak the language of college. Then you speak the corporate language, and then you learn another language to go. But you have to, that taught me that. Mm -hmm. And when I went home, they weren't as informed about disease mm -hmm. and Chinese medicine. And so when they saw me going to Chinatowns and getting the Chinese herbs and, and medicine and, and teas to help balance the Western medicine, because Eastern medicine is the balance. Western, they did all they could do. I had a Harvard oncologist that said, Pam, this is all we can do. We, I'm sending you to every Chinatown so you, you can go you to. you went the integrated medicine route. Yeah, and I brought that back to people I knew who weren't going to get that opportunity. So my whole life has been people and environment and and moments where you have to the thomas says take small steps and you move forward you still move forward don't take the big step and miss mm -hmm. out on the the steps to get to the end take the small steps so you remember so the small steps was medicine and science and people and collard greens and homebrew and you know just sharing the love and letting them know like what is that stinky stuff you know i went to chinatown <laughs> and it's gonna help my body fight cancer and, and they and, and then my Native American family, yes, they had cannabis on the reservation. They never had cancers or chickenpox, and what they used were the cannabis and herbs and sage to heal themselves. So we forgot that, and so now I, I got to figure out how do I live without cannabis. Mm -hmm. Now we got it. Yeah. In Colorado, Colorado. recreational medical, but how how do I survive? Because I'm going to disappoint a lot of people if I can't remember a line and I'm no longer an actor and I look disfigured and my hair didn't grow back and this and this and that. And so my will was I took it a day at a time. Mm -hmm. If you know, if I wake up breathing, I'm gonna have a good day. So I got the whole day to figure out how do I get to tomorrow, how do I get to the next day, and it's okay if I never act again. But if, even if you never act again, Ms. Greer, this biopic is so important. I understand the screenplay has been written. Yes, yes, by Benny Richburg, yeah. who was one of the executive producers and showrunners but of Fresh Prince and Mine. Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's important, and it's really interesting because back in the day, a lot of the conservative uh, uh, black males in church thought I was stepping into man's shoes, and I should leave, you know, all of the, the fighting and the guns and the work to them and be, you know, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I said, no, that's not how I was brought up by Daddy Ray. Mm -hmm. So they need to see the transition. They need to see how what it took for me to say, okay, I'm trying, but if y'all don't come to the theater, you don't mm -hmm. build our brand, there will not be a Pam Greer or Black Panther. So 
me stepping into their shoes was different mm -hmm. and it was uncomfortable. But then when they saw so many other women from Tamara Dobson, mm -hmm. Gloria Hendry, Vanetta McGee, everybody like now saying, you know what, if you're not there, I got to step in your shoes. Mm -hmm. You step in your shoes, you're there, then it's a different story. So they saw in mass we weren't castrating, we were just being supportive. I don't wanna walk behind you, I wanna walk next to you. And given that, cause we're in this Me Too movement, and, and I, you've met, you know Hollywood. I know it, Hollywood and I know Me Too, yeah. and it's about time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it by myself. Yeah, We tried, but also you have to take an account that there's a lot of people who have the resources to make their own movies. Women can make their own movies. And people will come. They got the money. They got names on buildings. Yeah. There's no one stopping them. And we've got film students all over the globe from the the the, the talk about the have you heard of the the pink sari movement mm -hmm. in India? Mm -hmm. The women in India and Pakistan they wear the pink sari so they can stop the men from brutalizing women because they can't bear children mm -hmm. or they won't give them a divorce or they're not attractive and so they disfigure them or kill them, you know. And so they have these pink saris and they stand up to their societies. That's a fabulous message. And they started at like 10 years mm -hmm. ago, up against everybody. So we are part of that movement, the women's movement, because we were told, and, and this is not to denigrate or put down or demean anything about our various dogmas, from Christianity to Confucian to Buddhism to, to um, uh, Judaism to anyone, who, because their doctrines are set, and there are women who aren't, our culture is not monolithic. Like I said, conservative, mm -hmm. moderate, liberal, fundamental. So when you have your preachers in your community that never have scripture that, that heralds women's achievement every week, it's always about men achievement but not women how do we get society to say okay we're gonna give them equal footage sure, sure. so and it's not say because i love going to church and i know they'll talk about he and god and he and god i love me <laughs> you know i love that and then i got and then women gotta go okay we got to balance that mm -hmm. and it's okay we don't throw it in culture's face it's another code it's talking another cultural code because church is church but the reality is women need that equality they got to get equal pay they got to put them build the confidence and don't tear them down just because they may not be, lift as many weights mm -hmm. absolutely what do you make of all this because listen folks knew you were coming today and my colleagues some of who are in their late 20s smiling grinning running around i gotta meet pam Greer. you have a new generation you have a the old generation like me. That's what we're <laughs> supposed to do. Yeah, We're supposed to, we, we don't talk at the youngins. We share, we give them the skills to, cause they gonna be, they gonna be old school one day. You know, so we got to prepare them and give them the legacy of all that we've endured so they'll understand and build on that. But it's so wonderful to have, you know, high school or junior high schools come up to me and give me one, want to see the films and ask me the questions. Yeah. Well, what do you think? And why do they wear this? And why do they have that? What? Their curiosity from a different generation is so different, their mm -hmm. questions, than someone that's a millennial, someone's in their, you know, 30s or 40s or 50s. 
it's so different. Know your audience. And when they come, they're gunning. But it's what you expected them to have. And it's glorious to hear them. Because now you go, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, but I did. But it prepares them to not be afraid of the narrative of others. That we're so beautiful. We're so strong. We're different chords. We're different textures. We're different, you know, instruments. Mm -hmm. And that we all have a great purpose to share. And you don't have to give up home. But remember, because I, I, it hurt my feelings just to see my cousin. I don't understand those words because yeah. I'm a dropout. I'm Section 8. Yeah. You know, that's my family. Yeah. You know, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, so let me, and she, but I want to know what that word is. Mm -hmm. So we'd sit down and it made her feel good that she learned a word that you learn in college. And she said, I always wanted to go to college, but unfortunately I didn't. So I said, I will never do that. But if you ever want to ask me a question. So we all learn those languages and include inclusiveness is the message today. And you don't abandon your folks. You don't abandon, and everybody's your folks. That's right. You know, I live in a rural area. It's me and all these white people who love me. I talk D John Deere. I will plow their road before they get up. And Buffalo will come up and I say, Pip, you got Buffalo over here today. Yeah, Should I just keep this Buffalo? Roaming on your ranch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got cows. I got everything. Mm -hmm. Chicken turkeys, I get. But they know Pam is going to make sure their child is okay. Sure. They know that Pam's going to know. And, and I have given them an example of a positive image of a black woman living on a ranch alone in the Midwest. And, and that kind of dispels what any negative images or what they hear in the news or media. All right. Pam Greer. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. We could go on. It's it's been a pleasure. We I'll be back. You coming back? We back. We got that's just the the uh, prologue. Okay, we should Is do. It for, we, we'll, could, we could we'll do a show back. together. We, we got to get the epilogue, and that's all them them twenty five chapters. That's coming. right. Well, I'm gonna you hold know? you to it. Come back. Oh, I'll, I'll be back. We're promoting um, not only the new series that I'm doing, but I'll be directing a film I wrote called Fried Chicken Chronicles, uh, <laughs> and uh, I got a I got a lot to share to inspire. Thank you. To open the doors for mothers, you know. So. And you have opened the doors for a lot of people who look like me. And me. And you. And me. And my mama. And my grandmama. So, yeah, we're in a land of abundance. Thank you so much, Pam Greer. Thank you for having me. Oh, goodness. Preaching. One of my favorites, I shall admit. The one and only. Let's be clear, Miss Pam Greer. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Talk about a driveway moment. I just got a text from a friend of mine that said, look, I'm still in the car, engine running at four bucks per gallon, so you know it's good. <laughs> wow. One of my favorites. And so, be, be, Gail, what do you say after that, you know? Other I'm than donate. <laughs> you captured lightning in a bottle, the vitality in that woman's voice. I don't know how old Pam Greer is now. I'm guessing she must be in her 70s. But this is just a reminder that age is, what did Satchel Paige say? It's it, age ain't nothing but a number mm. or I forget the exact quote, but basically if you don't let it determine who you are, it can't determine who you are. And that's Pam Greer for us. Now for listeners, you can get in on all this love and all of this, like just supporting the radio that we love by calling 678-553-9090. Incidentally, this year's batch of trees will again be planted along the John Lewis Freedom Parkway. We planted at the Ponce de Leon end of Freedom Parkway back in 2012. Mm -hmm. And you can see before and after photos of those trees right now on our Instagram page, which is at W-A-B-E-A-T-L. 
In addition to the tree, your gift powers enlightening conversations like the one that Rose just had with Miss Foxy Brown on Closer Look, with Terry Gross on Fresh Air, and inspiring artists and creators on City Lights with Lois Reitzes, NPR News Magazine's Morning Edition, and All Things Considered, and midday updates like Here and Now. In other words, your gift keeps on going and going and helping Atlanta to grow. Donate at wabe.org slash donate or call. What's the phone number? Rose? It's 678-553-9090. And as always, we say thank you. Aristotle used to talk about this concept he had. It was about how humans interacted with each other. He called it politics. I'm Domenico Montanaro, and in public radio, no matter what the political news cycle brings, we never lose sight of the fact that politics is still all about people. So do some politicking of your own. Help your fellow humans interact with high-quality news and information by donating to this NPR station now. It's easy. Man, we went from Pam Greer to Aristotle. Well, here's a logical statement. (laughs) Your donation of any amount equals what? Our ability to continue to bring you quality news and information. See what I did there? It won't take long when you visit (laughs) wabe.org slash donate, or you can call 678-553-9090. Humans interacting with each other has certainly changed. We know that recently because of the pandemic, but we also know that the need for high quality News and information is so important. Gail, you've been with me this week twice now. I really appreciate it. You know, it's just been so amazing. And what's been clear when we revisit these conversations, I forgot just how impactful they were for me personally. Forget being the yeah, journalist. I'm yeah, right. just, When you're the journalist and you're in the moment, it, it's, it's kind of you're working in isolation. But to get to go back and revisit and hear it from the listener's point of view, must be really gratifying for you, Rose. Do you see why you are so beloved by Atlantans? Well, I mean, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. So anybody who wants to support Rose in this continued mission, let's just say you give $10 a month to WABE. What does it really do? Well, shows like Closer Look are on the air because thousands of people started their sustaining membership in a past fundraiser, and it all adds up. In order to bring you Morning Edition and All Things Considered, WABE pays a fee to NPR. It comes out to more than $4,000 a day, mm-hmm. every day. And that's just for the news magazine shows. Just for we those. rely on your gifts. Yeah, we rely on your gifts to pay this cost. In fact, 84% of all of our funding comes from right here in Atlanta, which makes me very proud. Your gift today will help us amplify you're giving me the signal to wrap up this. Call <laughs> WABE or donate online. You know how to do it, people. <laughs> and remember, your one donation right now equals one tree for Atlanta. And again, thanks to our partners at Trees Atlanta. Gail, thank you so much. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are fabulous. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, Kevin Rinker is our engineer. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. Don't forget that number, 678-553-9090 online, wabe.org slash donate. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.